Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Yet not us, but in Christ, Christ in us. That's where our hope rests. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the second opportunity I've had to preach here in the last uh, month or so. And just like the last time I preached, I want to come to another thing that God has been teaching me deeply uh, recently. And I hope that it will be an encouragement to you as well. Um, it's a confusing time of year, isn't it? The weather's confused. Danny and I are confused. Danny went like heavier. He went like long sleeve shirt and puffy vest. I went lighter. We probably both missed it. We're supposed to be somewhere in the middle. It's spring around here or something. Um, but uh, <laughs> glad, glad that. I don't think I it. No, I know. I know. <laughs> he got it right. I'm wrong. We're good. All right. Awesome. Um, but I'm thankful that God's word is the anchor for our souls that we need in all the changes of life, in everything that we experience, and uh, that's where we want to go this morning. Let's, let's read these familiar and powerful verses together. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, Paul says this, I must go on boasting. Paul didn't want to brag, but he was being accused of not being genuine and real in what he did, and so he was defending how he had poured his life out and that he was genuinely sharing with people what, what God had shared. And so he's defending himself. He's not, just on a, you know, he's not just bragging about himself. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, and we're, we're uh, certain here Paul is referring to himself. I know a man in Christ <clears throat> who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Look for that word throughout the remaining verses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool. For I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me, then he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited or proud because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray together. God, would you make our hearts tender? Open our ears that we would hear what you have to say about the weaknesses of this life. Please help us to stop listening to our own selves and the world around us in the temptation just to want to be rid of them. Help us to see 
your powerful grace and your love and your goodness in the hard things we experience. Open our eyes, we pray, to see wonderful things from your word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't know how many of you, uh, like me, kind of enjoy behind-the-scenes uh, opportunities to learn about something. Uh, I read recently a, a pretty famous book called Endurance. That's about the journey of Ernest Shackleton to the South Pole, and, and I'd heard about it, you know, like I kind of knew about a little bit about that event as he and his crew tried to be the first ones to cross all the way across the South Pole. They didn't make it, uh, but they survived, which was an incredible feat. But we kind of got to journey with them behind the scenes uh, of, of what life was like and how they survived and uh, got to the end of the book. And my dad had warned me about the end of the book. And there's this really powerful moment at the end. And I uh, got a little, like, water in my eye. I was like, huh. I've never met these people. I've never experienced what they experienced. But I got a little bit, like, in the experience behind the scenes. Maybe you enjoy things like that, whether it's Hard Knocks that talks about a football team right? And you get to see him behind the scenes. Maybe you enjoy uh, watching the royal family and getting a tour of the castle and kind of seeing how life works. And I don't know if you enjoy anything, anything like that. I do. Uh, and the reason that I enjoy it is because it deepens my understanding. It deepens my perspective. It helps me to better understand what's actually happening. And it makes things much more human. Doesn't it? Like, oh, what, what we see on the surface is, is kind of the best that we can all put forward. But this is one of the huge problems with social media is that we're all broadcasting the best moments of our life. Like, I, I think the Jones just ski the world, right? But the reality is that's a small part of your life, isn't it? It's an outstanding one, but it, it's a small part of your life. And, and behind the scenes looks kind of, they help us to see what's really happening. You know, there's a danger among Christians in a gathering like this, that all people see is kind of that surfacey best that we can put forward. And, and we're, even, we're even tempted as we read through the life of someone like Paul to think, man, it is, isn't it incredible how God met this man and changed his life, and then he was just like, he was incredible. If you read what Paul really says about himself, his past failures, his daily experience. He wasn't this, you know, charming, impressive public speaker. He actually talks a lot about fear, about weakness. And, and in first, or 2 Corinthians 12, we get this behind-the-scenes look at, at some very hard things in his life. It's a little bit like Job, right? Job chapter 1, we get this behind-the-scenes glimpse of of God going, Isn't, have you seen my servant Job? Here's a guy who walks with me and, and Satan goes, nah, I can, I can wipe that guy out. He has it easy. Of course he loves you. You've, you've blessed him in so many ways. And God says, well, have at it. I mean, here are your boundaries, but have at it. And, and in, in moments, Satan, one, two, three, four, wipes out everything Job has. And at the end of Job chapter one, Job arose, the Bible says, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and many of us have enjoyed the rest of the book of Job because it really helps us in our suffering, doesn't it? It gets very human. And while as Christians we don't believe in some type of higher knowledge or in hidden messages in the Bible, right? We don't, there's not like some number thing you're missing. 
There is a depth of insight that verses like 2 Corinthians 12 give us that are a huge help to our souls. It's one of the places we should turn to understand how to handle the most difficult pains we experience in our lives. It's one of the truths that sustained me over the last year, and I want us to all learn from it this morning. This passage starts with some incredible experiences, doesn't it? Paul talks about how 14 years before this, he had had a taste of heaven. God had allowed him through some sort of experience. He doesn't know whether it's a dream or a vision or in the body or out of the body. He says that a couple times. But, But God had given him a moment where he had seen heaven in its glory. We see that with a man like Stephen during his death that he saw heaven. And Paul had experienced things that he couldn't even put words around. This wasn't the only incredible experience of Paul's life. He had met Christ, hadn't he, on the road to Damascus. Why, Paul, are you persecuting me? He had seen God do incredible things. Right? As he had in weakness preached and shared God's word, people had trusted Christ. And in places where they had never heard about Jesus before, little, small (laughs) churches started to sprout up. And, and he would help them, and they would struggle, and he would, they would, and he would see God. And then he would come back on another journey and encourage them. And he, he'd expand. He'd just get to see God. So he got to see God do incredible things. In fact, uh, he says about this experience, look at verse 7. So to keep me from being, becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. What he had seen had made him say, Wow. It was genuinely incredible. It is interesting here that Paul doesn't go into some flowery explanation of what he had seen. He wasn't trying to impress people with what he had seen. In fact, he says, I couldn't even really put it into words. We do have from uh, the book of Revelation, we do have some of that explanation. But even there, isn't it amazing how often John says, well, it's kind of like this. It looks like this. It reminds me of this. Why does John say that? Because to put heaven into words that you and I relate to is impossible. I have a question for you this morning. How have we seen God work powerfully and personally in our lives? Have you seen God's glory? I mean, I'm not talking about like Peter, James, and John saw it on the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm not talking about how Moses saw it when God passed by him. But have you seen it? Have you had experiences of God working in great ways in your life? Do you remember when he made you aware of your own sin and that you couldn't possibly save yourself? You couldn't possibly earn your own forgiveness? You couldn't possibly make yourself worthy of God in some way? But if you laid that down and said what Jesus did is everything and you trusted him by faith, the famous writer John Bunyan pictured it as a burden being lifted off your back. Do you remember that? Do you remember God lifting sin's burden from you? And in that moment, though it's not a Paul on the Damascus Road experience, God did something incredible for you. You got to see his glory. Have you seen him work in other people's lives? I met some, uh, some old timers this morning, Walt and Sandy. And uh, I was talking to Christy Salazar. I said, there's some, there's some people who been, been in this place a long time ago, and they're here. And she, she just glowed. Her eyes, she was like, yeah. It's Walt and Sandy. She goes, I'll never forget 
when Walt became a Christian, Walt was, you were military at some point, is that true? Yeah, Walt was in the military. He said, uh, he said I, I used to be a soldier in the army, and now I'm a soldier in God's army. That's the work of God. And sometimes we forget that work, or we have the same danger that Paul had. It kind of fills us up with ourselves. And Paul says, there's something that I needed that God gave me because of everything good I'd experienced. If we're not careful as Christians, we can become proud in what God has done for us. Isn't that crazy? That God has shown us his grace and then we're like kind of impressed with ourselves that we've experienced that. It's like a little kid who gets gifts on his birthday. Gets a gift and he's like, man, I must be pretty awesome if all these friends brought me birthday presents. There's another connection here to weakness that's very powerful. One is that God gives us weakness to keep us from pride. The other is that we shouldn't think because we've had great experiences of God and his work that we would be exempt from weakness and pain. Sometimes we think that if we see God at work powerfully in us and, and in our church family and in our community and in our neighborhood, that, that somehow that should free us from the difficulties of this life. In fact, what happens here in 2 Corinthians 12 is that Paul goes right to God's unlikely and good gift to him. Right? It says this in verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of Revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh. So Paul goes from incredible experiences to painful weakness. We, we could even say agonizing weakness. Weakness that hurts. Last summer we uh, did, we call it Church in the Park or Hope in the Park, uh, on I think it was Thursday nights last year, Wednesday nights, um, and we had a new bounce house that we were super excited to put out. And uh, we've been waiting and waiting, and, and I'll never forget, <laughs> there was this, uh, this night, uh, I think it was late July, and it was really iffy, like there were storms in the forecast, and uh, so we were out at the pavilion at, at Richmond City Park. Some of you are smiling because you remember this. It's one of my very proud moments as a pastor. And uh, so we, we, we waited out the storm, and uh, it seemed like it kind of broke a little bit. The weather got a little better for like 30 seconds. And, uh, and I, I boldly, courageously, stupidly, sorry parents, uh, got up and uh, on the sound system and I said, I think the worst of the weather is past. We're going to inflate the bounce house, to which all the children do what? Yeah, they cheer. So we inflate the bounce house. And uh, it couldn't have been five minutes. I mean, just uh, as soon as we do it, it gets all the way up, and the wind starts to pick up, and it just starts to pour, right? And kids are jumping in the bounce house. And I'm not sure whether to say get out or that looks like fun. Uh, and so Anyway, so about the next 20 minutes they play until we're, we're certain that it's unsafe. We deflate the bounce house, uh, but we have a problem. It's soaking wet, right? And first rule of bounce houses, do not put them away soaking wet. So we bring the bounce house back here. The next day, a few of us show up. It's a beautiful sunny day. We unroll the bounce house, and uh, the weather dries it out, and a few of the kids are here. Uh, the Harrises are here, Vinny Keys, I think, us. Um, who else was here? So there were some other people here. 
And uh, while we're drying out the bounce house, the kids are just kind of roaming like they do. And all of a sudden, I hear a scream, like an awful kid's scream, right? And you know the difference between there was a fight, somebody got their feelings hurt, and this is serious. And we realize that little Dalton Harris has walked over. If you're out here, we have our little playground area, and then we have the side hill, which the weeds seem to love. And uh, Randy's killed them, and hopefully we can get them cleaned up this year. But Dalton had walked over the curb and down on that hillside in his bare feet. And Utah had found him. And by Utah, I mean goat heads. Those are a Utah thing. You don't have goat heads in Michigan. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Yeah, see? (laughs) All my Utah people know what a goat head is. If you don't and you're new to Utah, just ride your bike around for a while. The first flat tire you get, you'll take it in. They'll say you have a goat head. (laughs) This little pod, I'll describe this badly because I'm not a botanist. It's this little pod of a weed, their seed, that grows spikes. And they're serious. They're nasty, thorny spikes. And this poor, you know, two-year-old, was he two at the time? Had, had stepped in a, like a bunch of them. So, so Ron grabbed them. It's good dad work. Good job, Ron. Ron grabbed them. And I'll never forget, Dalton put his feet up. And he probably had 10 goat heads in each foot. Barefoot. And so he's screaming, and we're just pulling goat heads out of his. Do you know that from the Garden of Eden, thorns have meant something? They've meant a sign of sin and its effects and of great pain. And it's no accident that on his way to the cross, they wove a crown of thorns and they put it in his head. Because the weakness that Paul is describing here, it hurts. This weakness goes beyond just the thorns. It goes to something that is genuinely bad. Did you notice that verse 7? A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Whatever Paul was experiencing, and I don't think there's any accident here that the Bible doesn't tell us what it is. I think there's actually a kindness there because, because it can expand to a whole bunch of things that day by day hurt, that, that we look at and go, this is not good. And then the verse says that, th- that these sort of weaknesses, they harass us. That word harass is the word for beating something down. It actually has this, the idea of striking with a fist. This, this is not annoying. This is beating. Go to Mark chapter 14. I want you to see this idea because I really want it to sink into our hearts. Mark chapter 14. This word for harass is used in Matthew's account and Mark's account of the suffering of Jesus. Mark chapter 14. So incredible experiences, painful weakness. Mark chapter 14, verse 60. Page 852 if you're using one of the chair Bibles. Mark chapter 14, verse 60. This is Jesus accused, suffering. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? They've accused him of saying that he destroyed the temple, building it in three days. Jesus is obviously talking about his, he's talking about his death and resurrection. Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. 
Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Are you the Messiah we've been looking for? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. If you read the account of Jesus' crucifixion, it is amazing how, how little he speaks. But when he speaks, it's with purpose and power. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face, here's our idea, and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. This is the idea of what deep and painful weakness does. It beats us. And it does it again and again and again and again. So here's my question. We can be all surfacy with how Christian we are and how great our lives are. We come here and ah. But what is it for you? What weakness has God given and given me that doesn't let us alone? And if we're honest, we can't really see anything good about it. Is it something physical, like debilitating pain or terminal disease? Is it relational, some sort of family mess or personal trauma we've experienced? Is it spiritual? some sort of crippling addiction. We, we don't get the idea here that Paul is dealing with some sort of besetting sin, but, but I do think sometimes even that world just continues. Is it emotional? Maybe unmet expectations or financial setbacks? Or is it something I can't even begin to scope out for you right now? But you know. See, there's deep weakness in all of us. I hope you never look up here and see pastors who you think in some way have it all together. I hope you see people as best as God helps us trying to walk with Jesus and trying to help you do the same. If, if you ever begin to think that because we stand behind this pulpit and open this Bible that somehow, somehow we're without this sort of thing, then you are sorely mistaken. It's interesting that as we enter year five as a church, Easter was kind of year four and and. The church has been around for 30 plus years, but since, since the new pastors came in and we stepped forward and all those things, I, I don't know if there's been a time that, that we've ever been more aware of Satan's attacks and our weakness as a church family than we feel right now. So how do we respond? How do you respond? How did Paul respond to deep and relentless pain? Look at verse 8. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Maybe not surprisingly, he responded just the way we would. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Three times, Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I begged God, and I begged him, and I begged him that what? That it would go away that we'd find the answer. 
that, that there would be relief, that, that I'd be rescued. I begged God. And by the way, this is the right place to go. Right? Cast all your cares upon him. Because he what? He cares for you. Jesus, Jesus told a parable where he was like, just keep asking. Because <laughs> remember that annoying guy who just kept bugging the judge to get what he wanted? Eventually the judge was like, fine, I'm so sick of you, you can have it. And, and Jesus kind of turned that and goes, so, so don't give up. Persevere, keep praying, keep asking. God honors that. And it was a prayer for deliverance, that it would leave me, that it would be gone. I've had enough. There are some things that just need to go aren't there? I enjoy history, but I'm really glad that I live in the age of indoor plumbing and trash collection. Are you? We grilled fish last night. It was amazing. It's so good. I love fish. I'm really sad for those of you who don't, but there are a lot of foods I don't like that you're sad that I, I got it. Fish is great. Once it goes in the trash, what needs to happen? Amen? Yes. And for me, I got an outside spot to store it. I don't have any bears around my house, so that's good. I don't have to freak out about it. And someone will come every Tuesday morning. For me, isn't that a great morning? Unless you forget. <laughs> Drag my green trash can, and if it's a recycle day, my blue one too, to the road. And it's gone. Do you know where it goes to? I don't care. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> I just want it gone. When I was in college, we mowed a trash collection place. Don't do that. It wasn't awesome. <laughs> All that stuff. That, and I say that, but I don't say it lightly. The, the deep pain here, Paul just wants it gone. But here's the reality. God wants us to see deeper, and he wants us to see better than we actually naturally do. He never wastes pain. He never misplaces weakness. What we know and what we experience is there on purpose. And so the last thing we see in these verses, we've seen desperate prayer. We've seen painful weakness. We've seen incredible experiences. But the last thing we see, and, and I don't even know if this little phrase will help you because it's really simple. You know what we see? Enough grace. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect weakness. You say, I just want it gone. And God says, it's better that it stays. You say, hey, I don't know if I can believe that. Welcome to the club. I feel the same way. There are things in my marriage and family that hurt. There are things even worse than things that hurt me that hurt my wife. You want to feel helpless? Welcome to husbanding. It's interesting. If you have a red letter Bible, do you notice something interesting about that verse? Do you know after the book of Acts, and, and by the way, red lettering is not inspired. But what it implies is that to the best that the translators could tell, these are the very words of Jesus. The same Jesus who had appeared to Paul to say, why are you persecuting me? 
who had sent him into the work that he would do, the same Jesus said to him, my grace is enough. Do you need to hear that this morning? I know I do. Do do you need to hear Jesus say, I'm not taking that thing away, but Matt, my grace is enough for you. I find it powerful that the only other place we see the translators make this choice is back in 1 Corinthians 11 where Jesus, instituting the Lord's Supper, said, this is my body, which is broken for you. See, your, your Savior, he doesn't say anything to you that he doesn't know, that he hasn't experienced. It's grace that doesn't deliver. That's an exercise of God's wisdom and love. But it is grace that is enough. And it's grace that leads to God's power. His ability is made perfect in our inability. One of my heroes that I look to often uh, in, in the faith as a Christian is a man named Hudson Taylor, who went to China when very, very few people in China knew the Lord. And in fact, they all lived in coastal towns. And Hudson Taylor abandoned the practices of all the other missionaries. He said, I'm going to become as genuinely Chinese as I can. And I'm going to go wherever God, and I want to go inland. There were 12 inland provinces. And basically no Christians or churches in those inland provinces. And he said these two things. God used over a number of years, God used him and the people God sent to reach vast numbers of people. And and his work remains today. It's incredible what God did. But again, if you read his biography, you'll find out this is not an impressive person. And he said this, I often think that God must have been looking for someone small enough and weak enough for him to use and that he found me. He also said, God chose me because I was weak enough. God does not do his great works by large committees. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough and then he uses them. Look at where Paul goes in verse nine. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content. And don't think like I'm just kind of resigned. Do you know that word means I am, I am well pleased. I take pleasure, he says, with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, bad turns of life that don't go how I want, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So can we abandon the idea that the world has and that we have inside of us that we just need to get stronger and get rid of our weaknesses? And can we instead say, there is good work that God is doing in my weakness. And the fact that he doesn't let me get proud (laughs) of these accomplishments and the things I've experienced and the things I've enjoyed, the fact that he leads me back to a place of humility and an every morning wake up of dependence on him is grace. James says it really simply. God resists the what? And gives grace to the humble. See, God's grace is not just the thing that rescued you from your sin and offers you God's forgiveness. And by the way, if you haven't taken that gift, 
If you're still waiting and holding God at arm's length and think you have to earn your way to him a little bit yourself, can I just beg you to bow before God and say, please forgive me and show me your grace? But if you have, God is good to put us in a place every single morning that hurts and is deeply painful and shows us how weak we are so that we need him, so that we need his grace. And can I tell you what incredibly happens when we actually live that way? He shows his power is made perfect in our weakness. You say, I just want it gone. Me too. But these verses tell us in God's love and God's wisdom and God's grace, it's better. It's better. It's better. Great God of the highest heaven, great God of heaven that, that Paul saw. We bow before you this morning and believe what you have said. That our deepest weakness, our greatest pain, is no accident. It is something that you have given us, an unlikely gift, but a gift of your grace. And we need your help each day, sometimes many times in the day, to keep running back to you for the grace you have told us is enough. We long to see your power at work, but we don't want to experience the pain. So thank you for taking us to places we would not go on our own so that you can be lifted up in our lives. Thank you for laying us low that we might look to you. God, please guard us from our own pride and fill us with humility and dependence. And thank you that we don't do that wondering what will happen next. You have told us that as we run to you and run to you and lean on you, you will do rescuing, helping, powerful work that only you can do. God, please help us here not to run from weakness, not to try to hide it, but to lay it before you and even to be willing to gladly say this is good as a part of your plan. And if any here are still struggling under the weight of their own sin, would you help them to find your grace that will rescue and save? Thank you that Jesus is the one full of grace and truth, and thank you that this life is but for a moment. You are bringing us safely home. What an act of your grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.